This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's the morning run with Philip C. Chong Jensen, who forgot to wear his earphones, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. It is 6am, Monday the 26th of September. Jensen, I know it's your second week, but you seem to forget that headphones are a central part of our job. <laughs> I'm trying to protect my eardrums. She's trying to protect his ears. <laughs> from because what? Because we're all getting deaf. From yeah. your lecturing, Xiaoning. Nagging and lecturing. You're nagging and lecturing on a Monday morning. Yeah, guess what? Well, it's the last week of this month. Where did September go? Zoom Zoom, 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 and it's I know, gone. incredibly. And we're edging into the fourth quarter. I know, you love this fourth quarter thing, I right? love it. First, I love quarters. I love halves. But I love semi-halves. Because it's the last quarter and then you reflect back and think, I've amounted to nothing. I've done nothing. I've achieved nothing. I'm a loser. Yeah, and as you get closer and closer, <laughs> closer to 2023, that dawn gets closer and closer to that reality check, right? I have my quarterly resolutions. I've broken up my resolutions into quarterlies and I've got a monthly action plan with weekly initiatives and day-to-day chores and tasks to drive the weekly initiatives so I can meet my monthly targets so that my quarterly resolutions are all achieved. And your hit rate? Very high. <laughs> very high being what? Double digit? I will not mention the percentage. It's very oh, embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, anyway. As usual, we do have a very, very packed uh, day for you at 7.15. Budget 2023, just two weeks ago, October 7th, it will be table. So we'll be checking in with different sectors to find out their budget wish list ahead of the tabling. And today we will speak to Mm. Dato N.K. Tong, President of the Real Estate and Housing Developers Association, otherwise known as RADA, on what property sector players are hoping for. And I guess the property sector contributes to quite a a large of the GDP, right? And at 7.30, Russia is conscripting troops for the first time since World War II to boost its military presence in Ukraine. We discussed the implications of this on Russia's military strategy with its security expert, Dr. Malcolm Davis. And at 7.45, AMNO um, President Datuk Sri Ahmad Zahid Hamidi was acquitted of 40 bribery charges last Friday in the foreign visa corruption trial. So we'll speak to Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate with the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, on what this means for Malaysian politics. Mm. All this and more on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. 6.07, Monday the 26th of September. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Wong Xiaoning with Philip C. and Chong Jensen, who has finally put on his earphones after the second (laughs) nagging reminder. (laughs) Sorry, I play mum in the studio as well. Well, I wonder who's the daddy then. Me? No, there are there is none. This is a single parent household. <laughs> <laughs> a very efficient we well-run one. We only need though. one parent in yeah. this household. You to be need, honest, you just need one efficient one. efficient one. parent. Yeah, that's it, all. It's you enough. The, it's enough. The other one is an outlier. Yeah, not necessary. <laughs> but anyway, that song was flashlight by Parliament, which is something I hope the Ministry of Finance is using to find all the missing money, sometimes all the wastages by the different mm, ministries. Right. I mm. use the flashlight to you know sweep my garden for dog poo in the morning. Do you? Yes. I had to turn on the phone, turn on the flashlight because my dog poops everywhere indiscriminately. So at five in the morning before I come to the studio, I have to use the flashlight to find where all the dog poo is. Okay, interesting Because I fact. don't want my car to roll over it. Okay, I'm um, not sure how useful this piece of information is, but well, never mind. Never mind, regardless. <laughs> I'm not the parent in the room anyway. <laughs> Just a child, <laughs> yeah. the delinquent child. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, um, at this time of the morning, we always look at all these rather interesting articles and our intern... Afik picked this, didn't he? And it's entitled, What to Do When Your Side Hustle Becomes a Drag? And it's found in Vox. Chong Jensen, take it away. 
Yeah, so I'm sure everyone has spent some time online and you felt at some point in your life to actually start a side hustle. And by definition of a side hustle, I mean it's something which um, you would like to get paid something decent and you have some passion towards that side hustle. Mm. So those of you who go through with starting a high side hustle, there's a high probability at some point that you would feel that it's become a bit burdensome. And what do you do when your side hustle becomes a drag? You could let it languish. You could make you, making vague gestures, gestures at getting back to it and feel guilty about pushing it off to infinity. So um, for me, I'm too exhausted from my, my time at BFM now to think of a side hustle. But the only side hustle I have is probably some personal investments, which I'm not sure counts as a side hustle now with markets behaving the way it is. Just sell. <laughs> sell in May. Sell in yeah. what? Sell in September, yeah. is it? I know, Shawnee, you have a fair bit of side hustles and you seem to have limitless stamina. And I know, Phil, that you are... We are his side we hustle. All, we are his side <laughs> hustle. Is his side but can hustle. I just say, look, we, this is all luxuries. We all have these luxuries of side hustles because we choose to do it because it's interesting and fun. It's similarly to Grab drivers as well. You know, when people started do, going on Grab, it was a side hustle. I wanted to just earn extra income. Well, now some people are doing it full Unfortunately, that's time. not the case. That's the big challenge we're having. What happens when the side hustle becomes your permanent job? Mm. is the thing that I worry the most for many people. Many of us here, we all have side hustles. Mm. In fact, I'm inspired by my tuition teacher where her side hustle was to teach tuition for me. Because when she was a government school teacher, she couldn't afford the salary. So her side hustle was to be a moonlighting tuition teacher. And I was the beneficiary of it. And I'm very inspired by people who do side hustles like that. Yeah. But the worry I have in this world and in Malaysia is those side hustles are converted into full-time jobs now with no optionality. Or they have no choice because the basic income that they earn at their permanent yeah. job is just way too low, right? Because mm. we are confronted with some realities, one of which is that our median wage in Malaysia, if I'm not wrong, is something like 4000 But the average graduate salary is barely 2000 And if you're living in Kuala Lumpur, where the living wage you need is more than 4000 for a single person and then something like 7000 for a family... A lot of people have no choice but to do side hustles even though it has consequences on their mental health because they're strained, family time because mm. they just don't have time for anything else, you know, juggling between two or three jobs. And that's what Malaysian life has become. And I think it's probably replicated in a lot of countries, especially now when the cost of living is so high. So, you know, for some people, there really is no choice. They don't even really think about whether I can manage, whether I'm burnt out from it. It's just, I got to keep going. I yeah. got to keep going because I got to pay the bills. I got to put the food on the table. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really a reality for a lot of people around the world. Not just Malaysia, but globally. That mm. You just have to make ends meet and you really have to do what it takes. So, mm. So it really is a question about what's motivating that side hustle. If it's money, it's hard. If it's because your current job is boring, then re-examine why the current job is boring. If it's because you need a, you need something to just you know, stimulate you, that's fine. Like for me, I do side hustle simply because I don't have kids. So I, I feel I can balance it, right? Mm. That I can make it work. And I, and I do think people worry that, oh, Philip can do this. But in reality... Not everybody can no. because they have their other obligations. For them, their parents, their children are their full-time responsibility, you know. So it's very important to say it's unique for each one. Yeah, and it's that balance, right? Because you also want to give that certain level of commitment, assuming 
you have a full-time job and you, this is really your side hustle. You mm. also are committed to that full-time job to give it its 100% because you have taken money from the company. Uh, you shouldn't be, you know, kind of running away from your obligations and your duties where your side hustle makes you more money than your permanent job. Mm. Sometimes it does. That's it the does, reality. Uh, yes. But it doesn't mean you can shirk away from responsibilities too. So how do you manage that, right, in this new age of working where there's really no definition. People don't work nine to five anymore. Everything gets somewhat blurred and uh, I think people take on more and more freelance kind of work. So there's a blurring of this. I think you're right, especially when we transition to freelance work. So Jens, I want to ask you, right, what would be your dream side hustle? Because you said just now investments was your current mini side hustle. And that's not really a side hustle, let's be honest. But what would be your dream side hustle? I haven't figured it out, but I mean, to me, yes, um, it ha- I have to have certain passion towards it. Mm. And I guess for me, more importantly, it has to make money. <laughs> so, so we all know what drives Jensen. <laughs> I see. Yeah, you so could be a social them. media influencer <laughs> and do stuff and you can make money through advertising dollars. You never know. Uh, it's, it's not at the top of my list at the moment. Okay. <laughs> what is your quick one, Philip? What is, what is your dream site hustle? Oh, I want to be a barista at my sister-in-law's cafe. How interesting. Yes. Because okay. I just feel... It's nice to do something a bit mundane, but I love customer service. Ah. Although I'm very bad at it, but I think it's just something I'm quite. <laughs> so you don't have to do. be good at this imaginary. But I just like hustle. to collect money, you know, like at the till. Okay, five dollars, and then I try and cheat the person by giving back less oh change. Oh my goodness, like Philip C, that is so sad. But do you know any latte art? I did. I actually a friend <laughs> took me for birthday for my birthday last week and taught me how to do barista. Okay, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> did the dog look like a dog or a poo? Anyway, that's all the mess. That's all the time we have before Philip C. Chan interrupts and tells us how wonderful his art is. Do let us know what your side hustle is. You can tweet in our handle is at BFM Radio or WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. We'll be back after these messages. And by the way, my side hustle is to be Nigella Lawson. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. And that is I Wish It Would Rain Down by Phil Collins. And I hope that was referring to money. But anyway, 621 Monday, yes. the 26th and of September. not the actual rain. Yeah, 26th of September. Uh, it's the morning run. You're listening to Philip C. Chong Jensen and I'm Wong Xiaoning. We've had some social media comments bounce back to us and this in- hyper-intelligent, hyper-intelligent man, right? Because Yes. Have, uh, Mr. Ko, let's call him that. He says his dream hustle is to teach Python programming because he's currently a data scientist and I was such a gundu I had to go and find out what know, Python programming really. is you're a real hopeless case in this case you <laughs> yeah. want to be your dream hustle was to be Nigella Lawson yes exactly case. I want to be the domestic goddess yes and I didn't know what pro- Python programming is all about but Cole fully support you I think I know you from another life I think you would be a great program Python programming teacher there and uh, Steve Chong, in response to Chong Jensen's comments about investment, says everything gets sandwiched. Nowadays, investment is hard to make money in these falling markets. Exactly right. Uh, do you dare catch a falling knife? Um, I think the only asset class that's going up at the moment is the US the dollar. dollar. So if you bet on that, <laughs> well done. Uh, but the next uh, conversation that we're going to have is actually based on the New York Times article entitled In a Japanese Nursing Home, some workers are babies. And this article also picked by our very clever intern, Afik. But I think many elements resonate with us. Jensen, do you want to start? 
Yeah, so just imagine this. Cooing, giggling, and the patter of tiny feet mixed with the sound of walkers and wheelchairs at a nursing home in southern Japan. So this nursing home is actually in Ichua Nursing Home. It's in Kitakushu in a city of about under a million people in Fukuoka Prefecture that is ageing and shrinking like the rest of Japan. So... Um, this, the, what, what would be the visitors' rewards, which are the babies? Diapers, baby formula, free baby photos, and the coupons of a, for a nearby cafe. So um, I'd just like to uh, maybe draw some parallels to um, me as a parent. Um, I'm not right. sure my kids will be so welcome in, in these <laughs> nursing homes. They'll probably cause elevated blood pressure and angst for the residents. Chaos and mayhem. Yeah, but that's just the parent and me talking because... My mom has told me that her blood pressure actually drops when my kids spend mm, the weekend with her. Yes. Do you think your children are a bit like uh, gremlins, you know, as in when they're with you, they're horrible, and then when they get to the grandparents, suddenly they're angels? No, I think they're actually worse with the really? grandparents. <laughs> but it's they get it's away their with perception. It. <laughs> you know, blood pressure is a function of your perception. I should forward this article to my mom and she can give me the diapers, milk and baby coupons because I'm the baby in the household, isn't it? Uh, overgrown one, but never mind. We're not going to comment because, you know, the delinquent child is in the <laughs> room. delinquent child is in the room. But I really like this story because it really talks about this intergenerational uh, bridging that takes place and how I think babies, children are such a source of comfort for the elderly. It's a very interesting model also in which you're also helping... Um, I think struggling families with their babies going forward. And I and I bring it closer to home, like for my mom, right? When, you know, the, the helper comes and they bring a baby along to the house because there's no one else to help, right? When my when the helper comes to clean the house, it brings great joy to my mom. I can see it in her face as well. So I think this story definitely resonates not only in Japan, but around the world. Yeah, because a f- maybe a two years ago, I remember reading this article, mm. but I can't remember when where it is from, but we did discuss it on air where in uh, an old folks' home in Holland, because there was excess space, they started taking in university students. Uh, not in old folks' home, in, in these like residential complex. Yeah. They started taking in university students. Uh, in exchange for rent, they were supposed to do certain chores and spend some time with the elderly. And actually, that scheme really did very well. It really took off. Yes, Both the university students and the elderly had... Um, it was a synergistic relationship. It made a lot of sense because you're seeing an increasingly aging population. You see students struggling with their accommodation costs. So it's a really nice synergy there. And I was reflecting on my time in the boarding in boarding school in the UK. Every Wednesday afternoon, we had to do this thing called voluntary service unit. So you had a choice either to do sports, do military or do voluntary. Of course, I being the Double Gundu did voluntary service I unit. I just can't imagine you marching around in military. But never mind. Yeah, continue. exactly, right? Yeah. I look, I was basically using a flashlight to basically look for my dog poo, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing what else to say. But going forward, I really enjoyed it because spending just two, three hours with an elderly really helped you also change your perspective and look at things very differently. Maybe this is the modern way of that extended family that Asians used to practice, right? When in mm. the, you know, not too long ago, we lived in larger houses. We had grandparents, great-grandparents, right, in one family home, but increasingly less of that. So this is a form of it, and there's a lot to be said about it because I think it it, it reminds us, you know, like every generation can learn from the next, right? And it's, it shouldn't be the, the situation where I'm closed off from thinking a particular way. So Jensen, would you sell your third child for baby services to the elderly or folks home? <laughs> 
sell well, your third child. Philip first sell services. First, sell uh, services. Sorry, there is no third child, and if <laughs> even if I had a third child, yeah, I'll gladly do it. <laughs> But up next, we've got the 6.30am news bulletin and to take us out is Fever by Little Willie John. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.39, Monday the 26th of September and that song was Mad About You by Hoover Phonic. Uh, At this time of the morning, we're looking at all the international stories that have caught our eye. I think Philipsy is dying to like get off the gate, get out of the gate. Well, not dying, but this is I think breaking news coming from Italy. Italy's far right is set to win elections according to exit polls. Giorgia Meloni will be apparently the country's first female prime minister forming Italy's most right-wing government since World War II. Now, if you want to know a bit more about Giorgia Meloni, I think she's listed, related, she's, she leads the Brothers Movement, mm. which has actually got a lot of historical links to Benito Mussolini. Yeah, and they win by quite a substantial amount because she's getting 41 to 45% of the vote, while the left alliance has 25 to 29. What's interesting about this is this this is after Sweden, right, Uh, which has always had a social democratic party in charge for the last 40 years, is suddenly now veering to the right. And in France, we saw hotly contested polls with... I suppose the right also gaining market share. What does this mean about Europe, actually? Yeah, I think one of our platform pledges was to, I think, relook at the whole Europe EU two hundred billion dollar post COVID recovery grants and loans mm. that she wants to renegotiate in terms. Right. Also, a big implication here will be the Russia Ukraine war because some of her partners like uh, Berlusconi actually have been quite empathetic to President Vladimir Putin. So these shift to the right has significant consequences, I think, going forward. It's also a significant consequence, not only on social policy, but economic policy as what we saw recently in the UK as well. Yeah, and then going forward, what does this then mean for the European Union, right? 27 members all have to agree for big decisions. But when you start seeing fracturing, less of parties in the centre, but more towards the left and to the right, can Mm. they make cohesive decisions together as a union? That's going to be the big question. Uh, What has caught your eye, Jensen? Yeah, I'm looking at this article. It's carried by CNBC. And North Korea has fired a ballistic missile off its east coast on Sunday. And this is ahead of military drills by South Korean and US forces and a visit by Kamala Harris. Japan's defense minister has said the missile fell outside of Japan's exclusive economic zone and there were no reports of problems. Um, I think ironically, um, China and Russia have also condemned and have criticised these drills and they've said that uh, they've called on all sides not to take steps that raise tensions in the region and have called for easing of sanctions. Yeah, it's like uh, our friend, look at me, look at me, don't ignore me, please. Mm. I think this is a very interesting story because it's also linked to the thing that the development happening over in Russia, Ukraine. You see this whole conscription of forces and even President Vladimir Putin talking even about potential nuclear missiles, right, being being yeah. deployed there. Of course, the goal was to use these short-range tactical missiles which have less impact, you know, one kiloton versus the 15 kilotons at Hiroshima. But the question when you do these kind of things is that it provokes your neighbours and allies. So even China, for example, is vehemently against the use of nuclear missiles and such. So if Russia does that, does it feel also alienating its allies going forward? It, it That's just, one of the biggest challenges. It's just this 
sense of heightened geopolitical tensions around the world, right? Mm. Uh, but closer to home, there's news coming out of Philippines because thousands of people have been evacuated from coastal areas as a major typhoon approaches. It's Typhoon Noru. There, it's made landfall west of Luzon. Uh, and it's apparently ex- impacting quite significant amounts of people. The Red Cross are already on the ground. What's really sad is they just have begun to recover from a typhoon that have been eight months ago. And even in Canada, there's Storm Fiona hitting the country's east coast, destroying several homes and power lines. This is becoming not an exception, but quite a norm, actually, seeing all these super typhoons and hurricanes. Climate change, right? They say whether this is heightened by El Nina. I'm not sure whether this is specifically linked to El Nina, but we saw right last week just back-to-back kind of weather distortions taking place across uh, the rim. And, Mm. you know, just over the weekend, flash floods in Penang. Yes, Mm. uh, affecting the airport, right? We saw pictures of that. Uh, I think UK also has news coming out of it because, uh, well, they announced a budget, a mini budget on Friday, which Wasn't was disastrous. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that is planning to go to a holiday in UK, Yahoo, because the pound against the ringgit this morning, 4.9610. People did not like this budget one tiny bit. They did not because I think the Chancellor of Exchequer, Kwasi Kwarteng, I think really pushed significant tax cuts across the board, even for those higher income levels yeah. going Who's forward. Who's going to pay for everything, right? It's mm. the big question. Jensen, do you have anything that caught your eye? Um, well, I'm looking at an article by Forbes and it said that the total wealth of the Singapore 50 riches has actually dived uh, oh, by more than a fifth things. Yeah, to $164 billion. And that's, that's largely the end due of the to world. inflation, the tech route. And you see... Uh, Edward Dor Severin, the, one of the co-founders of Facebook, his wealth has slipped two places to number four and is down to just under $10 billion. But my worry about these stories is that it doesn't show still the distortion between the 1% and the remaining, right? We're seeing rising inequality happening across the world. Yes, you know, the, the, the creme de la creme of this 1% are really seeing a drop in their value, yeah. but the grab in wealth between the 1% and the rest is widening. The Gini coefficient is something that we really have to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, but up next, we've got some messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.50, Monday the 26th of September, and you're listening to Morning Run with Philip C. Chong Jensen and I'm Wong Shaoning. And that song was Snap Out of It by Arctic Monkeys. Who was that for? So many people in my life. But... <laughs> I'm looking at all the local stories now, and so are all of us. Uh, but I think so a relatively quiet week, I suppose. Weekend on the news front by Malaysian standards, but still lots of interesting stories for you. Jensen, take it away, please. Yeah, I'm looking at um, a story on elections and the cost of holding GE15. It's reportedly to cost $1.1 billion this time round. I'm quoting Election Commission Chairman Tan Sri Abdul Ghani Saleh. It said that it will cost $1.1 billion, and that is more than double what it cost in 14th general elections, which was $500 million, and almost triple the amount, which was for the 13th general elections, which was about cost about $400 million. And this reportedly could be due to the larger pool of voters, 21.2 million now, 
uh, probably due to Undi 18 versus about close to 15 million really? for G14. Really? Is that the case? <laughs> just why just so because much? So much? That's, it, maybe inflation has really hit the elections. Is that why? It doesn't make sense that it's, so, it's double, the pri- double the price tag are in we view not, of the larger pool We are not having double the voters, right? We are not having the double the voters. They, now the commission says so they need 366,000 people to man the polls up from 260,000 personnel on duty. That's a big jump. It's like 100,000 more, right? Yeah. Why do they need 100,000 more when the number of voters is... That's like one third more, isn't it? So if you talk about the voter list, uh, as more than 21 million registered voters have been gazetted. Now you mm-hmm. comparatively in 2018, 14.9 million voters. I want to know, and I don't have the stats here. I want mm. to know how much we are paying per voter versus, let's say, other jurisdictions. I mean, yes, of course, we are a country which have, you know, uh, we have a wide terrain. We have some smaller villages here and there. We have some urban centres. But if we could find an apple by apple for apple comparison, let's say for the cost of an urban voter mm. versus the cost of a rural voter, are we really getting our bang for our buck? I mean, so, we, so, in this kind of environment mm. where we are fiscally constrained, there should be some accountability, right? Who does the check and balance? Every government agency should come under some form of scrutiny. So if I do the numbers, it sounds like it's 55 ringgit per vote because if it, the cost is 1.1 billion ringgit and it's 21 million registered voters. That's I what, think tw- they can't be 21 million registered voters. The 21 million registered wow, voters. Okay. Apparently. So that's the big jump, right? Because mm. in 2018, you had about 14.9. Mm. So that's why you're adding about another 6 million voters. That's about a one-third increase for it, you know, which explains. But for me, it's it's more about efficiency, I think. Like, when you talk about the number of polling centres then, are we really talking about increased number of polling centres coming through to drive that forward? Or have they got to be more innovative in terms of where they have to do the polling? Because it's not about the numbers, right? It's about the size perhaps going forward. Or yeah. maybe we have to actually improve the process of, you know, balloting beforehand and postal votes going forward. Yeah, something worth investigating because the cost is quite significant. Uh, what else caught your eye, Philip? Well, I think one story that caught my eye, according to the QPEX, some 50% of civil servants are unable to own homes. About half of the 1.62 million civil servants in the country are still unable to own their own homes due to the sector's minimum wage being irrelevant in current times. That's according to Congress of Unions of Employees in Public and Civil Services, QPEX, President Datuk Adnan. Okay. Uh, And I'm looking at Malaysian Insight, right, uh, where it's quoted our Federal Territories Minister, uh, Dr. Shahidan Kasim, say he's prepared to give a detailed explanation about the flood mitigation measures in the capital, describing the actions of certain quarters who plan on suing him over the matter as their right to do so. Uh, he basically says if they still want to sue because they want publicity, that is their right. If they want an explanation, they can come and see me tomorrow or even tonight. So the team of eight, I do believe it's eight yeah. uh, KL residents, right? Uh, one of which is, of course, Ambiga. Uh, Dr. Datu Ambiga. Please go and see him because he says the door is open. Wasn't there a plan to build some wall? Yeah, uh, yes, some wall. Flood uh, wall, isn't flood it? Flood wall. <clears throat> yeah. So I think it's worth finding out what, what our minister has in mind when it comes to the flood mitigation actions because I think a lot of it has to do with the AG report to, that shows that, what, 17% of flood mitigation plans that were designed in 2017, only 17% or thereabouts, have been implemented. So let's see whether the minister is forthcoming in, in providing that meeting, which he says can happen anytime today or tomorrow. And you can hear more of that conversation because we had it with the lawyer who is representing the eight Lim Wei Jet. Uh, do find that on our podcast, uh, on our app, or also, of course, on our website.
Jensen, what else has caught your eye? Yeah, just very quickly, uh, the Sabah cabinet has agreed in principle to approve the suggested two-term limit for the Sabah chief minister post. And this will be brought up at the upcoming Sabah Legislative Assembly if all Sabahans and assemblymen, both government and opposition, agree to amend the state constitution regarding this matter. Yeah, and also a little news coming out in terms of uh, drafting of bills. Political funding bill drafted at central state level for more transparency. That's according to the Minister and Prime Minister's Department, Wan Junaidi Tunku Jaffa, who said this, and this is being reported in uh, Malaysia, Kini. But that's all the uh, local news for you. Up next is the 7am news. And to take us out is Ain't That a Shame by Fat Domino. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.